Well, good morning again, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Scott Zeller, and it's my pleasure to serve as one of the pastors here for Redeemer Church. And if you do know me, I'm really thankful that you still came this morning, even after seeing my name on the sermon calendar. It is always a pleasure to bring God's word to you. And I'm particularly excited about this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you do have a Bible with you or are able to tap to one, go ahead and do that now. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me pray once more before we dive in. Father, would you be pleased to visit us this morning with your transforming grace as we look to your Son through the power of your Spirit by the testimony of your Scripture, may Christ receive the glory. Amen. Well, earlier on in our prayer, a pastoral prayer, you would have heard Dave mention about two exciting new church planting opportunities happening in this region. Izmir, Turkey, Kuwait City. These are amazing opportunities, places that are so gospel needy. And yet we as a church have this opportunity to partner with those who are going out for the sake of the name to these kind of places, to be fellow workers with them in the truth. It's amazing. And that's the vision of this church, as Dave mentioned. The vision of this church, Redeemer Church, is to be a covenant together group of believers who are worshiping Christ, knowing him, making disciples of many nations, and raising up and sending out people to go and do the same as they plant new churches in new places to see more disciples made of Jesus. And we want to continue to see gospel advance here in the Middle East and around this region of the world. And that kind of vision is really what we're going to look at next week in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. But this week, we're going to be looking at something more foundational, something that without which we cannot be the kind of church that spreads the gospel out in a way that honors Christ. See, the reality is that if we ourselves are going to be those that grow in our reach for the gospel, we need to grow in our depth into the gospel. So I pray that we never lose that ambition. We never lose that ambition to go out and to be filling the world with the glory of the Lord. But are we as passionate about the gospel going in? Do we want Christianity to advance more than we want Christ to abide in our hearts? Brothers and sisters, it's really easy to live our spiritual lives vicariously through somebody else, through the, the famous pastors, through the evangelists, through those marketplace workers that somehow amidst doing their work well to the glory of God are making disciples like crazy. And we look at them and we think, man, that's so amazing that they're doing that. And we applaud them and slap them on the back and like their stuff on Instagram but somehow that can sometimes tempt us to feel like we are the same as them. That because seeming spiritual fruit is happening in others, because we appreciate that, that means somehow we are also growing. And that's not what that means. Life in Christ and life in his church is not a spectator sport. We are not here just to see the professionals do a good job and give them a round of applause. But life in Christ and life in his church is all of the members together, everyone equipped in different ways, working together on the mission. Another way to think of this is that many of us are living our faith like the villagers in their big red tractor. You know that story? 
story of the villagers and their big red tractor. Francis Chan writes about it in his children's book by that name. And it goes like this. There's this village out in a farming community, and they've got these fields that they need to plow and get ready for the planting and the harvest. And they've got a big red tractor. And this tractor is the machine that's going to go through the field and and make sure that the, the soil is ready to be planted in. But there's one problem. The villagers don't really know how to use this tractor. They don't know that they can turn it on. So what they do is they push the tractor and they pull the tractor and they move this huge piece of machinery up and down this field and it takes months longer than it should. And just barely in time to get the the stuff in the ground, to get the harvest, they get it done. And each year they just eke by. They have just enough food to survive. But then one day, Farmer Dan, he's up in his attic. And Farmer Dan, maybe he's looking for some pictures and, uh, you know, or some whatever people put in their attic. And he comes across this old book. And it's the manual for the tractor. And as he's flipping through the pages, he realizes we can turn this thing on. We don't have to pull it around the, the, the dirt, and we don't have to sweat for months to do this. So he goes and tells all the other villagers, and he says, hey, we can turn this on. Look at this book. They all laugh at him. Say, Farmer Dan, come on. We've always been doing it this way. Why you got to stir things up? So Farmer Dan goes back to his barn, and in one night, he figures out how to tune up the tractor, and in that same night, he goes out and he plows all the fields. So not only are they don't have to pull the tractor around the field, but they have enough time to plant so much food that they have the food they need, and they can even feed villages around them that are starving and in need of food. What they needed to do is figure out what the tra- how the tractor operated. They needed to realize that even though they had the tractor, they weren't using it appropriately. And a lot of us are operating our faith in the same way. We know transactionally what has happened. We have believed the gospel that Jesus has died for our sins and he's taken our sins upon himself and we are saved by our faith in Christ by God's grace. But yet so many of us are failing to live in the actual day-to-day experience of what Christ has purchased for us. In Ephesians 3 here, Paul puts it in these terms. He says we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? We can be filled with all the fullness of God. Colossians 1 tells us that the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. And so what Paul is telling us here in a similar way, just as all of who God is, his fullness, has been bestowed into Jesus... As Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts, we are able to grow in our experiential understanding, our knowledge, not just in the sense of an awareness, a head knowledge, but our deep knowledge and conviction and our fullness in God. We can know him for who he is. Friends, don't you want that? Don't you want more of God? Or would you walk in this morning and say, I think I've got what I need? If God's got more, I don't need it. I'm good. No. God is offering you his fullness. And so what we see in this passage is how to get that. This is Paul's prayer. This is Paul's ambition for his people. So what we're going to do this morning 
is we're going to walk through these verses and see what's here. And then we're going to see five ambitions that I think arise out of this passage. Five ambitions for a Christian who wants more of the fullness of God, who wants to experience the love of Christ and know the deepness of his love. For the Christian who wants to grow deeper, what ambitions should they have? We're going to look at five of those. But first, let's see what's in this passage. The first thing we see in verse, three, or verse 14 of chapter 3 is that Paul is assuming a posture of prayer. So like I already mentioned, this is a prayer, but it's not a prayer. He's telling us that as he's bowing the knees before the Father, so that's language of prayer, but he's not giving us a transcript of what he prays. This is not coming straight out of the prayer closet. This is him giving a report of the things that he prays. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Here's Paul, Paul the apostle, the one entrusted with bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, the one that was showing them that this is not just a Jewish faith, but this is going to be a world movement, that the glory of God is going to go throughout the entire world as everybody is brought together in one man under Christ. Paul, who planted churches. Paul, whose writings make up about a third of the New Testament. Paul's a hero. I mean, he had his faults, and he was quick to tell us those, but Paul was a hero. And I don't know about you, but I find myself to be very much in the non-hero camp. I'm pretty solidly in the normal guy camp. But we all want to know what the heroes do, don't we? Isn't that why we buy the magazines and read the blogs and books, what the celebrities and the stars are up to, so we can learn something about how they did what they did? I've got this book on my shelf called Tools of the Titans. The Tactics, Routines, and Habits of Billionaires, Icons, and World-Class Performers. It's over 700 pages of really juicy info, like what Arnold Schwarzenegger has for breakfast, and the three questions that Jeff Bezos asks himself every, every evening. Now, I have not read that entire book, so I certainly do not endorse it, and I have not used every tool in it, which you can tell by the fact that I am not a billionaire and I don't have perfect abs. <laughs> but I did buy the book. And why did I buy that book? Because I was curious, what do the heroes do? Maybe me as a normal guy could learn from the heroes and take something. Well, friends, this, our hero, Paul, he's not a billionaire. He's not a celebrity. He's not a self-help writer. But here in Ephesians, Paul's pulling back the curtain a little bit. And he's saying, when I went to the Father... For these people, these new believers in Christ, these ones in which I was entrusting the gospel and so that it would spread throughout Ephesus and throughout Asia, when I went to the Father on their behalf, this is what I prayed. And what we'll see here is that he's not praying for their financial prosperity. He's not praying for even miraculous signs and wonders to be done. He's praying specifically for their spiritual good. He's praying exclusively for their spiritual good. So let's see what it looks like. Look in verse 16. In verse 16, we see that he's praying this, and this is really his one request. These whole, all these verses from, uh, from 16 really to 19 form one prayer, one report of this prayer, the things he's praying for, but it forms around this one request. 
in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that's Paul's fundamental request, that the Holy Spirit would move in power and strengthen them in their inner being. So what is the inner being? Inner being is referred to in various ways in Scripture, the heart, the mind, the will. It's what Jesus was referring to in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus uh, reminds him and he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus is talking about their inner being. It's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says that our inner person is being renewed day by day even as the outer one is perishing. 1 Peter 3, Peter's writing, and he's writing specifically to the ladies, and he reminds them to not be about the adorning of the outside, the external beauty, but he tells them to keep watch on the hidden person of the heart. This inner being, this hidden person of the heart, our soul, this is what Paul's after. And this Christian concept of the inner being is why he could have told them in chapter 2 that they had once, one time been dead. In chapter 2, he starts that chapter by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, does that mean that this group of people had at one time been physically dead and then had been miraculously physically resurrected like Jesus? No. What Paul is saying there is he's referring to their inner man. Their inner man had been dead. It had been so lifeless, so powerless, so unable to do anything good for itself, so restrained, so much in bondage, um, being kept from God in a relationship with him, it was dead. That's the inner man. But God, by his mercy, Paul goes on to tell us in chapter 2, God, by his mercy, brings life to that inner man through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying God gives life. So that's the request. The request Paul is making is, God, these people need to be strong in the inner man. By the power of your spirit, make them strong. And then the rest of the prayer builds on that. The power of the spirit making them strong in the inner man will look like these things. He says in verse 17, if they are strong by the Spirit in the inner man, Christ will dwell in their hearts through faith. And then he says in verse 18, if Christ is dwelling within their hearts through faith, then they will have strength to comprehend with all the saints. So there's a sense in which strength in the inner person makes them able to have strength to join with others. And then in verse 19, what's all that doing? Inner strength, Christ dwelling inside, strength to join with the saints, what that gives them is the ability to know Christ, to know his love. Now, what's interesting about this is that Paul already prayed something really similar in chapter one. If you went back to chapter one, you would see that there's another for this reason. He begins this with a for this reason, and in chapter one, there's another for this reason, and after which Paul tells us of another one of his prayers. And in that prayer, he's praying for them that they would know the hope of the calling to which they've been called. The know the hope of the calling to which they've been called. And then from there, he goes into talking about grace 
by grace through faith, the salvation that they have. So in that first prayer, Paul is praying for them to know of the hope, to see it and to understand it. And now in this prayer, he's praying for a different kind of knowing. Not only that they would be aware of the gospel, that they would believe it, they would know that hope, but then by joining together in community, that's all of chapter, the rest of chapter two and beginning of chapter three, that as they're gathered together, that they then would know the height and the depth and the breadth, that they would know what is unknowable, the surpassing knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that what Paul is saying is that you can know what's unknowable? It's a paradox, isn't it? Two things that can't be true. You can know it, and it's unknowable. It's surpassing knowledge. I think this passage reminds us that one of God's greatest gifts to us is rescuing us from trusting in the things that we think we know, but giving us the gift of knowing what we don't know. We don't know the extent of his love. We don't know the height and the breadth and the depth. We don't know those things, but we do know that he loves us. And as we join with the other saints, as Paul's saying here, as Christ is dwelling within our hearts, as we're being strengthened in the inner man, we are coming to know something about the love of God and in so doing, being filled with him. It's an exciting thought, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that might make us say, I want more of that. Maybe you've been in Christ for a long time. You've been coming to this church or other churches, maybe since birth. You've been around the Christian community a lot. But you're like those villagers. You're, you're pushing and pulling, sometimes more than others, and you're just barely eking by. You know that the fullness of God is not something that you've really grown in. Well, friends, these verses are for you. These verses are for you. New believer in Christ, these verses are for you. Are you new in Christ? You've just repented of your sins. You're believing and trusting in faith, but you don't really know what's next. These verses are for you. Gain a passion right now to seek after the fullness of God. And for you who are not believers yet, you're here thinking about Christianity, or one of your friends dragged you in the door and said, hey, come to this, this place with me. You thought you were going to brunch. It's actually, surprise, the 11 o'clock service. You're here. These verses are for you, too. These verses are for you. Why don't you stop striving after getting yourself to God, after seeking God on your own terms, but come to him according to his word? So I promised you five ambitions Five ambitions. Now, if you're not aware of uh, maybe what an ambition is, an ambition is a desire that you are determined to see come to pass. An ambition is a desire that you are determined to see come to pass. And I think there's five ambitions, at least five, I'm sure we could think of more, that come out of this text. And before we get into those, I want to remind you that this text is showing us that it's God who does the work. Paul is praying to the Father for the power of the Spirit to make his Son glorious in our hearts. So God is the one who's doing it all. And yet, we as his, um, his followers, we as those who want to be obedient to Scripture, we can't force the Lord's hand, 
but we certainly can honor what he's told us by placing ourselves in submission to it and placing ourselves in a place that should God answer this prayer, we would experience more of the love of Jesus. So here's five ambitions that you could take on that would help you position yourself to receive the fullness of God. First one, five ambitions. First one, going deeper into the gospel of Jesus. Going deeper into the gospel of Jesus. Now, as I already mentioned, the gospel of Jesus is is in and throughout all of what Paul is saying here. Paul reminded them of the gospel in chapter one. He reminded them that before the foundations of the world, God had a plan through his son to save them. They were the ones, chapter two, that were dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet God, knowing that about them, before the foundations of the world, sent Jesus Christ. And through him, by redemption through his blood, by grace through faith, they can be saved from their sins. That gospel is an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. Theologians have talked about the gospel in saying the gospel is something that a children can wade into, a child can wade into, and yet an elephant can swim in. We never go beyond the gospel. There is no secret handbook for the super Christians. It's not that you enter into Christianity and you get the basics, and then once you tithe enough, then we give you the good stuff. That's not how Christianity works. This basic gospel message, the truths that he has shown them, are the truths into which we go deeper. Like I said, Paul is saying, the things that we know and how we got into Christ, the gospel, are the means by which we go deeper into Christ. What we got into the Christian community with, we experience by a community. So friends, let's have an ambition to go deeper into the gospel. We've sung about preaching the gospel to ourselves. Do that. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of God's forgiveness of you in Christ and rejoice in it. Second ambition. Second ambition. Embracing the beautiful complexity of our triune God. Embracing the beautiful complexity of our triune God. Now, it's impossible to read these verses and not be struck by the majesty of our triune God at work in perfect harmony. Did you see that as we were looking through those? Christians believe in the Trinity. We believe that God is one and eternally existent as three persons. Each one is fully God, and yet each one is different, having unique characteristics and personhood, playing different roles in the drama of redemption. And this prayer puts that triune God on display. Paul's appealing to God. He's praying to God, not abstractly, not to some thing in the clouds, but he's praying to God personally. He's praying to God the Father. He's bowing on his knees, respect and honor and prayer to the Father. So he's both honoring God and it's an intimate statement of the Father. And he's not just praying to the Father, but he's praying to the Father that through God the Spirit, God the Son would dwell in the hearts of man. And he trusts that when that happens, then we will be filled to the fullness of God. You see that? It's not three gods 
We're not polytheists. There's not three guys going on here like Greek mythology, waging war for our soul. No, this is one true God. One true God and three persons working together in perfect harmony to love the people of, uh, of his people. Now, this is a mystery. But you cannot grow deeper in your faith. You cannot um, be filled to the fullness without understanding and appreciating this doctrine. So I want to encourage you to read a book like Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Short, accessible, would help you understand this topic. I was thrilled when I heard there's a group of ladies getting together um, or planning to get together to read through Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. That's a phenomenal idea. And you don't have to join them, but you could just read his chapter on the Trinity in that book. You'd be so helped by that. And we, we have a GTC class going on right now this weekend. It's full, so you can't get in. Um, but next time we're teaching on the doctrine of God, come to the class. Come learn more about this God that you serve and his triune beauty. And one way we can embrace the triune God is through our prayers. And we see that modeled here in these verses that Paul is praying to the Father through the Spirit or through the Son by the Spirit. And that's really our third ambition. So first ambition, going deeper into the gospel. Second ambition, embracing the beautiful complexity of the triune God. Third ambition, committing to prayer. Now again, Paul is not writing here explicitly to tell us to pray. He's reporting his prayers. But in that, don't we see Paul's priorities? When Paul speaks of the beauties of the gospel, the riches of Christ, he explains the church in all of its glory that this one new man is being gathered from those who are near, from those who are far off, and there's no hostility, and there's peace and reconciliation. The first thing he does is not give strategies to make it happen. The first thing he does is, is not tell them, here's some tips on how to raise up leaders, or here's some tips on how to recruit volunteers, here's some tips on how to negotiate with hotels so that you can have meeting spaces. The first thing he does is pray. First thing he does is pray. We also see that in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Later he'll do the same thing where you remember the, the armor of God, where he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. You remember seeing pictures of that if you've grown up in the church in your children's classes? So it's getting this guy ready to wage war spiritually. And then he says, praying always in the spirit. So really what the whole armor of God is about is prayer. Paul is a man of prayer and he is modeling prayer for us. And we, brothers and sisters, if we want to go deeper into the gospel, if we want to experience the fullness of God That will not happen, absent of praying. That's a hard statement, but I believe it's true on the authority of Scripture. Again, so many of us are living our lives vicariously through others, and it can be very easy to feel spiritual. We follow spiritual people on social media. We come to church on Friday, and we start to feel like, yeah, I'm I'm around spiritual stuff. But is your first reaction to pray, when you come across issues in your life. Husbands, as, as you think of this last week, when you think of times when your wife was frustrating to you, 
She was not respecting your authority. She was not going at the pace you wanted her to go at. Conversations were taking longer because she was so emotional about it. Was your first response to pray for her spiritual needs? Did you step back and say, there is, there's probably a spiritual reason for this? There's probably a way that I could intercede for her to the Father. Wives, same question for you. As your husband didn't care for you in the way that you wanted to be cared for, as he wasn't present for you in the way you wanted, as harsh words were exchanged, did you think first of his heart? Going first to your father before you went to your husband. And it doesn't take a spouse to realize that relational tensions happen. You are single, our youth, our teens, others, friends. Let our challenge be to pray for those around us. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Maybe you don't pray very much, not because you don't have time, not because you're busy. That's what we hear a fair amount, isn't it? We feel like there's just so much to do. I just, I just can't find the time to pray. Just be honest that maybe you don't know how to pray. Well, one place to start would just be this passage. Again, this, this is Paul telling us what he prays for. So take this passage, take this, these tactics of this hero and pray these, these same things. Pray these same things for your husband. Pray these same things for your coworkers. Pray these same things for your neighbors. After the first service, uh, one member came up to me and said, you know, I've been praying this passage um, for a, a new believer that I've been reaching out to. And since I've been doing that, I've been amazed by the growth I've seen in her life. Well, let's be doing that. Let's be praying for one another. Let's be praying together. Another way you can learn about prayer, there's, there, as Dave mentioned, there's a class going on right now. Just started this week. It'll be again next week, 8 a.m., looking at how can we have a praying life. Come and take that class. Number four, ambition number four. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to experience the fullness of God, then one ambition you should have, one desire you should be determined to see come to pass is pursuing inner renewal. Pursuing inner renewal. Now, as we, as we saw in these verses, Paul was praying that these believers would be strengthened in their inner man and that Christ would dwell in them. Strengthened in their inner person and that Christ would dwell in them. I want you to think again back at those verses in 1 Peter 3. Remember I mentioned that before, those verses where Paul is speaking to the ladies and he's challenging them not to let their adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. Now, men, we, I know for myself just speaking that I kind of like that verse. I like to remind Angela of that verse when she's taking longer to get ready than I think that she should. She always appreciates that. It's a word in season. But guys, I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about two things, speaking to the men. Two things. One, for you men. Some of you need to spend more time in front of the mirror, and that would bless us. <laughs> Secondly, guys, just because we don't worry as much about our appearance, we do in other ways. 
You can't tell me that you aren't adorning yourself with performance so your boss would appreciate you. You can't tell me that you are seeking to adorn yourself with wise words so the people around you will respect you. We care about what people think of us. We care about how we look. That's not just a female condition. That's a condition of the heart. And what Paul is saying here in these verses is that we need to care more about what's happening inside than we care about what's happening outside. You see, when Christ comes to dwell in you, that means that he's going to know what's going on. Think of the last time someone came to visit your house, came to uh, dwell in your house for a bit. Maybe that visitor came into your home and they, uh, they were blessed by the sight of a very clean living room. Everything was just right in its place, smelled very nice. The children were playing peacefully over in the corner, maybe singing a hymn. <laughs> the, the sound of food and the, the smell of food being prepared in the kitchen wafted through the room. So you had a nice conversation for a little while. And then this friend, maybe in a lull in the conversation, wandered down the hallway to find the washroom and check his messages. And he started trying the doors. And he opened this door, but it wasn't the washroom. This was the closet. It was the closet that five minutes before they arrived, you stuffed all of your things you didn't want him to see. (laughs) All of your trash. All of your things that he might be offended about. You put it all there in the closet, shut the door so that everything would look nice. Friends, a lot of us have those kind of closets in our hearts, don't we? A lot of us, if we're honest, it's all of us, have hidden things, hidden things that we've kept for ourselves. And even though we've invited Jesus into our life, to use that language, We've attempted to keep a closet closed and say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here, but you, you don't need to know about this. He already knows. He's God. And if Christ comes to dwell in your heart, he already knows everything that's there. So friend, let us be committed to inner renewal. Let us say with the psalmist, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. There's no clearing the history. There's no putting it away. Know everything, God. And let me and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, confess your sins to God. He's not going to be surprised. He's going to be ready to remind you. That Jesus, when he comes to dwell inside of you, comes with renewing, restoring grace. Christianity is not about keeping a clean house. Christianity is about letting Jesus clean your house. It's about the power of the Spirit coming to work in your life so that you might experience the fullness of God as he renews you day by day. Fifthly and finally, The final ambition that I would commend to you that I think we see in this passage is to be joining with other believers. Joining with other believers. Now, notice back in verse 18, as, again, Paul built on that initial request. 
that initial request that they be strengthened in the inner being with Christ dwelling in their hearts. And that's going to make them rooted and grounded in love so that, so that they could have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Now, that's a really interesting use of, of, of a phrase because he initially prayed that they would be strengthened in their inner man so that they might have strength. So that helps us see the, the connection there, the purpose. That strengthening of their inner being is now going to give them strength to do what? To engage with other people in coming to understand the, the depth and the height and the breadth and to come to know the love of God that is unknowable and unsearchable. Now, this is a uniquely Christian idea. There's other philosophies out there. An ancient philosophy called Stoicism has this idea of the inner citadel. A citadel is like a fortress. So it means they're talking about this inner fortress. And so what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to build this inner fortress that you can go into and nobody can hurt you. Not with their words, no situation, no trauma, nothing. Because you can go into your inner citadel and be perfectly at peace. That's not the Christian way. The Christian way is as we are strengthened in the inner person, we have strength to reach out to others. Our internal strengthening gives us strength to be part of the community. One way we see this is in Jesus. Jesus, at the end of John chapter 2, It says that knowing the heart of every man, Jesus knew what was inside of everybody. And it says he entrusted himself to nobody. That was wise on Jesus' part. He knew what was in the closet. He knew everybody. And he said, I'm not going to entrust myself to them. But what was he going to do? He entrusted himself to the Father and in that way was able to sacrifice himself for everyone. He knew the love of the Father for everyone, and so he was willing to do whatever it took for all of the people, sacrificing even to the point of death. And that needs to be our mentality as well. We don't look out on the people in this church. We don't look out on our friends, our church members, and say, wow, this is a perfect group of people that I can definitely entrust all my secrets to. No, these are broken people. These are sinners. These are people in need of grace just as much as you are. Don't entrust yourself to them. Don't entrust your identity to them. Trust yourself to God because he's going to give you the strength to then love these people in a way that honors him. And what you're going to find is as you do that, you will experience God's love in a way that you could never do on your own. That's what he's talking about in the earlier part of chapter 3, the latter part of chapter 2. What Christ has won for us in salvation has purchased for us this new body. No hostility, reconciliation, those who are far off brought near. So friends at Redeemer, is that true for you? Are you experiencing that? Are you joining with other believers because you know that by doing so, even though it might be hard, you are coming to know something of the fullness of God? Here at Redeemer, we have the unique opportunity to do that in a special way because we can build relationships that are crossing cultures. And one thing that happens when we do that is that we have nothing in common other than Jesus. And so in a unique way, we can experience his love, what he purchased for us on the cross because our unity is only in Christ. So I want to encourage you towards that.
want to encourage you to take those steps of awkwardness to get into relationship with one another. Choose one of these ambitions that you can pursue together. Say, hey, I'm from America. You're from Nigeria. You're from the Philippines. You're from Eritrea. You're from this place. Are you interested in pursuing inner renewal with me? Can we do that together? And just discover the grace of God on display as that brother or sister from that other place helps you see things in the gospel that you could have never seen on your own. So friends, are you eager for a strengthened faith? For an inner being marked with the the presence, the, the dwelling of Christ himself? For the ongoing experience of his love that fills you up to the fullness of God? I hope you are. And I hope that these verses help you see that that is God's desire for you. It is the prayer of Paul for his people and it ought to be the prayer that we have for one another. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we would come to know more of the riches of our inheritance in you. Lord, strengthen us in the inner being. Come to dwell inside of us, O Christ. May there be no way in us that is offensive to you, but Lord, by your grace, renew us day by day. Lord, would you lead us into community, into love with one another, where we can comprehend something of your unknowable love together. And may Christ receive the glory. Amen.